Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is based in large part on the book Born Ready, the mixed legacy of Len Byers. Some quotes are narrated by podcast producer and book author Dave Ungrady from interviews done for the book. Recordings for those comments were not available. Yeah. We always wanted to be like the older guys. And you always say, man, I want, I want to do what they do. So they were like a big brother to us. I, I try not to get overexcited by anybody in the beginning, uh, but I knew he was he was athletic. I knew he could be a good player. Uh, Jay had more, much more skill than Leonard did skill-wise as a basketball player. When I turned around, Jay was laying down, and I seen the crowd just coming on the court. You know, the fight broke out. I thought it was no doubt that he was a Division One, you know, basketball player. Um, he could do anything on the court he wanted. I just hope that I live to see him in heaven. And everything I do from now on is dedicated for my brother. He was like, hey man, your boy just got killed. I said, no, what are you talking about? I said, Jay Byers. Excuse me. I said, Nah, man, stop playing. It's, it's like my whole body just got weak. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I just didn't have nothing in me. I, I was not prepared for the loss of Jay, and nothing that I dealed with with Len helped me through Jay. Through a window, his face flashed an engaged expression as he talked about Len Bias being his father. Michael Bias told me, Everything has been a struggle, financially, emotionally. It's been a tough break for me all my life. It's been a jinx from when I was born because he died. In this episode of Len Bias Mixed Legacy, how the death of Len Bias impacted his family. The indoor basketball court at the Columbia Park Recreation Center is not known for its visual appeal. It has no windows or bleachers. It's a drab beige box anchored on each end with a basketball hoop. For a time though, one of its walls caught your attention when walking through the gym. On that wall was a poster announcing the dedication of the Wharton Mac Lee Madkins Gymnasium in 2002. For decades, Madkins was the director of the center, also known as the Rec. He helped coach Len Bias and others in both football and basketball. Here's Madkins talking about Bias shortly after his death. At first, kids used to laugh at him, you know, because he was very awkward, you know, but he kept playing, playing, and then, like, every day he was up there, like, seven days a week. And he developed one of the best ball players I had. 
A picture in the poster located on the bottom right includes Jay Bias, the younger brother of Lund Bias. He flashes an easy smile and wears a green t-shirt emblazoned with the words Boston Celtics in bright white letters. Below the picture are words attributed to Madkins that read, they may leave, but they always find a way back. Jay's legend at the wreck is as profound as Lund's for different yet sadly parallel reasons. Neither made it back. Lund died in 1986, a victim of drug overdose during a celebration. Jay died in 1990, a victim of gun violence following an argument. The picture in the poster was taken the winter after Lund died when a Columbia Park team won a club tournament in North Carolina. Next to Jay in the picture is Jay's best friend, Clint Venable. The two had met at the wreck. Basketball played a large part in their developing a deep friendship, one that resembled brothers more than friends. We hung out, played ball with Jim like 90% of the time. The Columbia Park community center. We, we ate over each other's house. You know, I go over there, yeah, he come over my house. I mean, that's how all the guys was in the neighborhood. And that's one thing I can say, you know, especially about our neighborhood. You know, the guys got along. We, we always had each other back. We would play like all day. That's all we knew. Basketball. We wanted to go up to the gym, play ball. If gym wasn't open yet, we'd play outside and wait for Mac to get it open. We couldn't get enough of basketball. If, if our parents wanted us, they knew where to find us. We used the direction of Plumbing Park. Len Bias was a hero to many young people for his basketball talents, perhaps none more than to Clint Venable and Jay Bias. Venable talks reverently about his mentors, Bias, Brian Waller, and Johnny Walker. They all taught Jay and Clint and others at the rec about basketball and life. At times, they gave up their court time so their mentors could play. You know, they used to kick us off the court because we was younger, didn't want us to play. Then we get to sit and watch those guys play. And Leonard and Brian Ice and Johnny and them guys used to work out. They used to let Jay and myself and Henry, another guy to play with us, hang out with them. We used to get so excited, like it was like Christmas. It's like, you know, be quiet, you know, don't do this, don't do that. We just wanted to hang out with these guys. Watching Len play convinced Venable that he wanted to go to college, ideally at Maryland. I used to watch the way he worked on the court, the way he worked without the ball, and um, how you cut off the guy, you know, how you worked to go get it, how, how you would square up to the basket and shoot. So, like I so said, we had plenty of drills that do that, you know, watching them, these other guys doing it. Um, how he boxed out, you know, how he played the game. And a lot of that stuff he was doing was, was straight basic, you know, straight basic basketball. During the rare times Clint played on the same team as Lumbias, he understood his role. When you're playing with someone like that, you're thinking like, I gotta get him the ball. And when Jay played against Len, the elder Bias did not play favorites. You know, when he's on the floor, he ain't take it easy on him. Knock him down. The younger guys, we always wanted to be like the older guys. They done been through what we going through. We probably couldn't go to our parents and talk to them, you know, about what's going on. So they was like a big brother to us. Venable felt as if he was a brother to Jay and by extension, part of the Bias family. Jay Bias and Venable were still in junior high school when Len Bias began his career at Maryland. They looked at Len as just another guy from the neighborhood. They hung out together at the Bias family home just a couple blocks away from the wreck. They gathered around the television set in the Bias basement and watched videos of Len. We just go down there and watch uh, the highlights of Maryland. And um, we, I mean, we watched it from, you know, as freshman year on up. And, you know, we, we, we was young. We was going in and, and watched the games. And, 
you know, see some of the dunks that, you know, we never get to see on TV. And they were able to play pickup games on the Maryland campus with their mentors turned heroes. Uh, go outside and, and play. They had the, the lights out there. You know, you got some of the guys from Maryland playing. Um, you had uh, Keith Gatlin, uh, Jeff Baxter, Leonard, yeah. I mean, just being on the court with those guys. Cause you know, you, you're thinking like, hey, I'm in high school and I get to go up here and play with these guys, you know. And these guys playing on TV, they play Division One basketball, somewhere, you know, every kid want to be. Brian Waller was Lenz High School teammate. He says Venable and Jay were among a few players they would pick as the fifth player on their teams in those games. Here's how Waller compared the skills of Len and Jay. Waller told me, Leonard was more power, Jay was more finesse. Len was by far the better shooter, but Jay could handle the ball, put the ball on the floor, create his own shots. Jay could use his left hand. Both were great athletes. Both could jump and leap. Len was a two-footer. Most of his dunks were off two feet. When it came time for Jay Bias and Venable to pick their high schools, how could they not pick Northwestern? It was the only place they would be comfortable playing basketball. Len Bias and Brian Waller, their two idols, made it to the state finals there in 1981 during Len's junior year. You watch the older guys play, and you want to be in their shoes. And I say, man, if I could just get in Northwestern. We had the best cheerleaders, school, you know, had school spirit. Venable was a year older than Jay and played varsity as a sophomore. Cornell Jones was the junior varsity coach at Northwestern at the time. He first saw Jay play as a freshman and picked him to play for the JV. I, I try not to get overexcited by anybody in the beginning, uh, but I knew he was, he was athletic. I knew he could be a good player. Um, doing tryouts, we, we knew he was an outstanding player, but we thought putting him on the JV would be the best thing for him so he could grow and wouldn't have the pressure of saying, hey, he's a bias, he's gonna be this, that, and the other. A lot of that atmosphere was due to the school's coach, Bob Wagner. His last year as coach was in 1986, the year that Len died. Earlier that season, Wagner picked Jay to play half the year for Northwestern's varsity team as a sophomore. Wagner felt it was best to keep Jay close to him rather than keep him on the junior varsity. Uh, Jay had more, much more skill than Leonard did skill-wise as a basketball player. Uh, but he also had more mouth and, and you know, that held him back mm -hmm. in his development. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. On the day Len died, Jay scored 20 points in a summer league basketball game. Northwestern won by 21 points, 
He also made time to talk about his brother for a local television news show. He was the best brother that I think ever in the whole world, the best brother. Anything that he wanted done, I mean, anything that you needed, he jumped right on it. Always on top of the job, just like my father. I just hope that I live to see him in heaven. And everything I do from now on is dedicated for my brother. But Jay struggled to maintain that focus. He soon showed signs of trouble dealing with his brother's death. When he returned to school in the fall, he lost focus on academics. Jay said the following in a Baltimore Sun story in March 1989, quote, when my brother died, I got a chip on my shoulder. Nothing worse could happen. Since he was gone, I saw no reason to do what I was supposed to do. My attitude was forget the world. I found myself doing things I shouldn't have. I wouldn't do my schoolwork. Instead, I'd hang out at clubs with friends. My mother and friends counseled me. I straightened up, end quote. Venable remembers players doing mean things to Jay related to Len's death. At times, Jay struggled to control his emotions on the court. They said a lot of, you know, bad things to Jay on and off the court. You, I don't care who you are, you can only take so much. And, you know, like I say, it was rough on him. It was. But the, but the kids, the other team would say something to Jay. Um, I'm, I know he would go on, somebody would say something, you know, just kept nagging him. And like I said, that was probably part of their game plan to get in his head, you know, to kind of to beat us. During his junior year, Jay was ejected from the first game of the season for throwing an elbow. He was involved in a shoving incident in another. The most dramatic incident happened in a game against county opponent Eleanor Roosevelt at the end of the season. Players were trying their best to prevent Jay from dunking the ball on fast breaks. After Jay completed an alley-oop play on a pass from Venable, he ended up on the floor. And when I turned around, Jay was laying down, and I, the fight broke out. And I seen the crowd just coming on the court, you know, the fight broke out. People came out the stands, and, uh, you know, I mean, it was like just terrible. But a lot of their players that got hurt, I know that. And if one of us fight, he said all of us fight. Bob Wagner's also, you know, he said the same thing, you know. We're not going to start a fight, you know, we come to play ball, but it's a basketball team. We are family, we help each other, we look out for one another. Bias was taken to a hospital and treated for bruises. In a Washington Post story about a month later, in March 1987, Bias admitted he had trouble controlling his temper. He said the following in the story, quote, I felt a lot of pressure after Len died. I think people expected me to do what Len did when he was here. It bothered me a lot and I didn't have the patience to deal with it. I was also getting sick and tired of always being referred to as Len Bias's brother. For the rest of my life, I will be Jay and I want to be accepted on what I do. When teams play against me, I want to feel they are playing against me, not against Len's little brother. Right now, I'm just trying to help us have the best season we can have, end quote. And he did. Some nine months after Len died, Northwestern won its first state title since 1968 at Cole Fieldhouse, Len's home court at Maryland. As Venable remembers, Jay could display a loose demeanor similar to Len's, often joking with his teammates before games to stay relaxed. But before the state championship final in 1987, he was quiet and reflective. Venable remembered seeing tears well in Jay's eyes in the locker room before the game. He recalled Jay writing, Len's Maryland number 34 on the back of his basketball shoes. He scrawled Len on one shoe and Bias on the other. 
Inspired perhaps by his brother's spirit in the arena he had once dominated, Jay scored a game-high 25 points. He also grabbed 14 rebounds. Cornell Jones was their coach. He was probably, the year that we won the state, he was probably our probably second best player behind Clinton Venable. And the only thing, this was, I think, was just Clinton had experience and Jay didn't. Things were different the next season. Northwestern finished with a 10-12 and 12 record and missed the state playoffs. But Jay put up big numbers, averaging 25 points and 12 rebounds a game. By this time, Jones saw stardom in Jay's future. I saw him as a potential superstar. I thought that he would be able to do anything that he wanted to do on the basketball court if he worked at it. He could do everything. He could shoot. He could handle the ball. He could attack the basket. The only thing, again, slender bill. But again, he was only, what, 16, 17 years old. So he hadn't developed that man's body yet. And he managed to avoid the on-court altercations that soured his junior season. Still, Jones wondered if Jay was ready to play in college. Jay was fun-loving. Jay was fun-loving. Like, hey, let's do this. Let's do it. I would say more impulsive, you know, and that's what could get him in trouble sometimes, being impulsive, like Jay. And I I still think he, even though he was a senior, I still think he hadn't reached that maturity level that you need sometimes to to bridge that gap between high school and college or bridge that gap from high school and just graduate from high school. He didn't have the greatest grades in the world. So I think that kind of backed some schools off right. I would say Jay was an average student. Jay's mother, Lanise Bias, said that Jay earned a 2.83 academic average during his senior year, but he failed to reach 700 on his SATs. That prevented him from earning scholarship offers from Division I schools. Jay chose instead to attend Allegheny Community College, considered a top junior college in the country. Some of its past players included former Terps, Steve Francis, an All-American who later had a prominent MBA career, and Speedy Jones, a teammate of Len Bias. Lenise Bias told the Washington Post that she was very pleased that he was going to Allegheny. Quote, it will give him a chance to get himself together, she said. Jay has been under a lot of pressure lately and Allegheny will be good for him, end quote. It was for one year. It helped that Venable, a year older, was already a member of the Allegheny team. He and Jay were reunited as teammates. As a freshman, Jay put up good numbers on and off the court. He scored a 2.9 grade point average in his first semester. On the court, he averaged 17 points and eight rebounds per game on a team that finished 32 and four. Quote, I study, play basketball, and go to high school games, Jay said in a Baltimore Sun story in March, 1989. It's like I'm on vacation. I love basketball. It's my food. I have to have it. It's like I'm an addict, end quote. But Jay showed signs of uncertainty with basketball and life. Here's Venable. We used to sit down plenty of nights and just have long talks, you know, about the neighborhood and basketball and, you know, how, how things was in life. And I remember when I was in my last year, he said, you know, when you, when you leave, he said, I don't think I'm coming back down again. He said, I, I probably won't even play basketball. If Leonard would have been, you know, there, I think he'd have went somewhere and played four years. And I mean, made have been in the pros. And I guess he didn't really have that drive, you know. Basketball wasn't really important to him, like, you know, anymore like it was. Venable went on to play for Bowling Green University. Jay chose to quit basketball and college. He wandered for a couple years, not sure what he wanted to do with his life. Bias worked in a dining facility at a church and also a bank. 
He registered for an algebra class at American University in the summer of 1990, but did not earn a grade. During that summer, Venable noticed that Jay was not his usual self. He thought it was because he was no longer playing basketball. At about that time, Bob Wagner, Jay and Len's high school coach, saw Jay at a basketball game not far from the bias home. Mr. Wagner, he says, my mom's on the road. My dad's a mess. Hmm. He says, I don't have anybody to talk to. I said, well, you know, you're going to play again or, uh, you know. And I always remember him saying, he says, you know, I thought about it. And, and Leonard, my, you know, my brother would have wanted me to continue playing. Jay Bias brings up an uncomfortable topic in that comment he made to Wagner. The occasional absence of his mother in the immediate years after Len's death. Within weeks of Len's death, Lenise Bias became a popular speaker, teaching lessons learned from Len's death. By December 3rd, 1986, less than five months of the death of Len, Lenise Bias had done 60 speaking engagements. During one stretch leading up to the first anniversary of Len's death in 1987, Lenise Bias gave eight speeches in eight days. ESPN basketball analyst Jay Billis, who played against Bias while at Duke University, feels any criticism of Lenise Bias for speaking so often is unwarranted. You know, there are things that, that were said uh, that I heard that really upset me. And one of them was when, uh, when Jay Bias tragically died, I heard someone say uh, about uh, their mother that maybe if she weren't out giving speeches all the time, she would have been able to, to do something about, about that. I'm like, how could you say that? Where's the empathy and compassion for, for the, the horrible tragedy suffered? Um, you know, it, like, so you, you don't want their, their mother to be out trying to help it. Like, like to your point, trying to help uh, educate young people that, you know, you need to avoid this, you know, the cautionary tale aspect of that. Um, and it's not that that wasn't the only thing I heard in, in that vein. And, um, and, you know, you just kind of shake your head going, where, where does this kind of, of mean spirited stuff come from? In the summer of 1990, Bias was sorting out his life. It was then that Johnny Walker, Jay and Lund's youth coach and mentor, saw something he thought he would never see. Jay walking into the East Side Club in Southeast Washington, D.C. with Brian Tribble, who was with Bias when he died. Tribble was acquitted on drug charges related to the death of Len Bias. He later served 10 years in prison for drug convictions. Walker told me it was unbelievable. I just looked at them. I was thrown back. Here's Bob Wagner. I'm going to be whoever I want to be with. And, uh, um, you know, I'm not going to make the same mistake my brother made. He didn't know what he was doing. As Jay Bias showed uncertainty, Venable settled in at Bowling Green. In 1990, he was a preseason conference player of the year candidate, and his senior season started well. Bowling Green hosted fifth-ranked Michigan State, led by All-American Steve Smith on December 1st, 1990. Clint Venable has just hit both from the free throw line, 23 in the afternoon, 88-77. Michigan State down 11. In a game recognized as one of the most memorable in the team's history, Venable led Bowling Green to a big win. And that is going to do it. This basketball game is all done. Bowling Green has registered a 13-point win over Michigan State as the crowd frenzies here at Anderson Arena. Unofficially, Clinton Venable finished with 25 points to lead the BG Falcon attack. Joe Moore had 23. Venable also had five assists. He was carried off Bowling Green's home court by his teammates as the game hero. Within a few days though, Venable's life would take a stunning turn.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I, I was not prepared for the loss of Jay, and nothing that I dealed with with Len helped me through Jay. Because I had already buried one son, God, what is this? What are you talking about? My daughter called me, and uh, she said, um, Mon, Jay has been shot. <sighs> I said, what? That's Lenise Bias talking about how she reacted to the news that her second son, Jay, had been shot. He died soon after. Two sons dead, within five years, both destined for greatness as basketball players. Their legacies instead defined by tragic, unforeseen, and fatal consequences. On December 4th, Jay had gone to a jewelry store to check on an engagement ring he had ordered for his girlfriend. In the store, Jay saw Jerry Tyler, who thought Jay was flirting with his wife, a store clerk. The two men argued. Jay then left the store. Minutes later, someone in a Mercedes-Benz drove up next to the car. Jay sat in the passenger seat of that car. It was waiting at a stop sign outside the mall. Someone from the Mercedes-Benz car fired a gun, killing Jay. Tyler was later convicted of the murder and sentenced to life in prison. And he looked up to his brother. He looked up to his brother. Even until the day Jay died, he missed his brother so much. He missed his brother so much until the very day he died. A few months before Jay died, Bob Wagner asked former Georgetown coach John Thompson to have a talk with Jay. John apparently talked to him. And if John can't talk to a kid off the street and get him, and he, say, and he told me, he said, Bob, I can't do anything with that kid. He, he, you know, he, he's not going to make the commitment. He's not going to do what he has to do. And it was sad. And then, of course, you know, a few months later, Jay's dead anyway. He had basically said to me, Mr. Wagner, my brother didn't know what he was doing, and I'm not going to make the same mistake. Jay made the prelim game or whatever, Capital Classic. I was watching the practice, and it was at Springbrook. Jay was late. So anyway, Jay walks in the gym at Springbrook with Brian Tribble. And I said, what are you doing with him? Because in my mind, he's still the guy that killed Leonard. He said, well, I didn't have a ride, so Brian gave me a ride. And I said, Jay, what are you doing? You can't have Brian. And that's when he made the comment about, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to be whoever I want to be with, and, uh, um, you know, I'm not going to make the same mistake my brother made. He didn't know what he was doing. Jerry Tyler's wife, the store clerk Jay was talking to, testified at the trial of her husband. Chanel Tyler claimed in the testimony that Jay Bias repeatedly pursued her in the weeks before he died. The two had dated each other in high school. She claimed that Jay had asked her out a few days before the shooting. Four days after its big win over Michigan State, and the day after Jay Bias died, Bowling Green was preparing for an evening game at Western Kentucky. 
Clint Venable, Jay's best friend and the team's star guard, had just finished showering in the team hotel following a shoot-around. We had one of the rooms with connecting doors. It was some of the 12 guys on the team, and they was, you know, watching um, sports. ESPN, I think it was. And um, I just got a shower, and they was like, hey, man, your boy just got killed. I said, no, what are you talking about? This is Jay Byers. Excuse me. I said, nah, man, stop playing. It's, it's right here on TV again. So I looked at it, and it's like, Everything just, you know, it just messed me up. And it's like my whole body just got weak. Oh. I went down and called my parents uh, on the payphone. And um, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. That whole time we was in West Kentucky, I'm walking around, going down to the lobby. Uh, first game we played, I, I just didn't have nothing in me. I just couldn't, I couldn't play, couldn't play at all the whole time. He tried though. Against unranked Western Kentucky that night, Venable scored just eight points, shooting two of 13 from the field. He missed all of his shots from three-point range. Bowling Green lost by 13 points. In 1986, when Len Bias died, Venable made sure to attend the funeral. He interrupted his stay at the five-star basketball camp to attend the funeral. When Venable returned to the camp, he was surprised how everyone reacted to Len's death. He had a, a moment of silence for Len. And um, the counselors and some of the, you know, ball players, the young kids, kind of, you know, was crying and got cheery. And I was sitting here looking like, you know, I couldn't believe it because I knew Leonard was good, but I didn't look at him like everyone else looked at him because he was from the neighborhood, you know. And I was sitting here like, you know, these cats don't even know Leonard. And they, you know, were crying and, you know, they was weeping. So I was like, wow, you know, it was amazing. It was different for Jay's funeral. Venable chose to stay with his Bowling Green team rather than return to Maryland. I wanted to come home for the funeral, but when I had talked to Ms. Bias, uh, she told me, you know, just go ahead and stay up school and, you know, everything is fine. We're doing okay. And, you know, she just told me, you know, everything will be all right. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I wish I would have been there, but, you know, like I say, I don't know how I would have took it, you know. You know, that's all I kept thinking. I'm like, wow, when I go home, I'm not going to see him no more. He's he not going to be there. Because so many times we're always ready to throw in the towel. Life is too hard. I can't make it. I can't go on. But I stand here as a witness today, understanding that what my family and I went through was not for us. It was to stand up in such a time as this to let people know you can make it. That's Lenise Bias speaking at a college in Pennsylvania in January 2011. For the past three plus decades, Bias has turned personal grief into a catalyst for change. The middle-class Christian mom has become a national icon. She hopes that others can benefit from her unrelatable losses. Within weeks of the famous death of her eldest son, Len, Lenise began speaking out against drug abuse, and the murder a few years later of Jay only fueled her mission. 
With a relentless passion, Lanise Bias still preaches a series of messages. One is to realize we all have good in us. But you can make it. Don't be weary in doing well. The only way you can get oil, the only way you can get oil from an olive is to crush it. The only way you can get juice from an orange is to squeeze it. The only way you can get a diamond from coal is under millions and millions and millions of tons of pressure. And we all have some good in us, something that someone is waiting on. We haven't used all that we have to be able to give. A message to embrace your self-worth. When you get up and look in that mirror, you're going to find 20 reasons why you should hate yourself. Learn to feel good in your skin. Know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Know that you're beautiful. Know that no one else in the world has a set of pupils like yours or fingerprints. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a thing of beauty. You are the gift. And to embrace those close to you, because you never know. Don't wait until someone dies and realize how valuable they were to you in your life. Because all that you held up, all of the stuff, the grudges and the things that, that could not be taken care of while they were alive, when they lay in that coffin, hear me right, it will be absolutely nothing. And you say, oh, if I just had a chance to say I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. The death of Lem Bias affected millions of people in a variety of ways. Lifesaver, career changer, cautionary tale, eye-opener, program devastator, and inspiration against drug abuse. His death affected no one as much as Lanise Bias, the middle-class mom turned motivational speaker and emotional healer, one whose mantra is, young people are reachable, teachable, lovable, and savable. If only someone could have saved her sons, Len and Jay. It started when the phone rang at 6.35 a.m. on June 19th. Lenise remembers getting a phone call. Keith Gatlin, a teammate of Len, called to tell her Len had a seizure and was on his way to the hospital. Uh, we're laying there in bed on uh, June 19th, and um, a call comes, and um, I can, what I remember clearly about that morning is that the room was filled with so much sunlight till it was almost like your eyes watered when you opened your eyes. The the phone rang and it was someone saying that Len was sick, he's at the hospital. I said, what? And so I told my husband, he said, what? And we got up and we went to the hospital. And um, we got there and um, I saw the players outside crying and torn up and media all over the place. And I was saying, well, what's going on? And when we got in, they, um, said that Len had gotten sick, something had happened to him. And I asked the, um, the nurse, she said, uh, we have him on life support. I said, well, is he breathing on his own? She said, no. I said, is his heart beating? And she said, no. And it was one other thing I asked her. I said, well, he's gone. And she said, no, he, he's, he, he's not gone. The doctor isn't here yet. The doctor arrived, and he uh, gave the official um, declaration, if you will, 
that he's gone and then everything fell to pieces everything everything went crazy and uh, um, we went in and we looked at him and um, lying there and my husband uh, torn up just torn to pieces and God had given me a strength uh, to stand there to look and to rub his head and to um, get home. Jeff Baxter, a teammate of Len's, was also at the hospital. Baxter noticed the calm demeanor of Lenise Bias amid the emotional storm. I do know she was calm as hell. That surprised me not because of her persona, but it surprised me because of the event that happened. At that point, I don't know how you can, can be as calm as she was. For Lenise Bias, there has been a new life after the death of Len Bias. She gave her first speech on July 26, 1986, at a church not far from the Bias home. A young female friend of Len's invited her to speak after she appeared on The 700 Club, a television show syndicated on a national Christian network. She gave speeches within the first year of Len's death to young people and business groups. One of those speeches took place on December 3, 1986. New Maryland men's basketball coach Bob Wade was among those in the audience. Here's part of what Bias said in that speech. Quote, God had to take something special to save a generation. Somebody has got to get out and say something. I believe God is using me. I'm basically a sower of seeds. I tell people what is right and what is wrong. Maybe some will get the message, end quote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In the late 1980s, Lenise Bias earned the chance to speak to the NBA rookies as part of its orientation program. Former Celtics star Satch Sanders operated the program for the NBA. Well... I think the players came out thinking that players came out thinking that their aunt, mother, or grandmother was somehow connected with the NBA's program after having this woman talk. <laughs> they hadn't left home. The lectures were there. The voice was there. She brought an important piece for the few years that she came and spoke to the players. A lot of players, you know, they're thinking that they have arrived in terms of being grown. Now they're leaving home and going to get paid to play professional basketball. And all of a sudden, here was the voice of the mother, aunt, grandmother, guardian, whoever they respected, was right there in the program. Because not only did she talk to them, she stayed around a couple of days and sat with players and talked to them. And, you know, because they really wanted to know more about Len Bias personally. She was excellent, great for the program. In the immediate months after the death of his oldest son, Len, James Bias acted like any father would, 
with a mix of grief, anger, confusion, and resolve. During a memorial service for Len, a few days after he died, James spotted Len's two most prominent coaches, Bob Wagner from high school and Lefty Drizelle from college. Here's Wagner recalling the incident. At the wake, I was deeply hurt by this. At the wake, I rode down with Lefty because we didn't know where we were going. We come into the church, and I know Mr. Bias was still hurt and upset, but Lefty walks over to give his condolences, and Mr. Bias says something like to Lefty, like, you stay away from me, you killed my son. You saw this? Oh, I'm standing right, and you too, and pointed to me. I just took that very personally. Um, I never said anything to him. I thought there were times when I thought about just driving through Columbia Park and maybe talking to Mr. Bias and seeing, you know, like, you know, I'm sorry about what happened. James Bias has stayed mostly in the background since the death of Len. He has spoken little about his son's death. His most profound words came about a year from Len's death. Here's what he said in a Washington Post story. Quote, the biggest problem for me was looking at Leonard's possessions, all piled up in the bedroom. They say time heals all wounds, but you never outlive it because there's always these question marks. What really happened to Len Bias? End quote. There was a collective resolve by Lenise and James Bias to find out what happened to the money they felt was due Len's estate. In June 1987, the Bias family filed a $27 million lawsuit alleging fraud and negligence by Lee Fentress and Advantage International. Fentress was the agent for Bias and worked for Advantage. The company was in negotiations with the Boston Celtics and Reebok on behalf of Bias. The Bias family believed that Advantage had secured a $1 million life insurance policy on Bias. The Biases claim in the lawsuit that they did not buy the life insurance because they believed Fentress had already purchased it. The suit also asked for $2.6 million from Reebok. It claimed the company told James and Lenise Bias that an agreement had been made between Reebok and Len Bias. It claimed Bias would have been paid $325,000 a year for five years. Advantage denied the existence of a contract. Joanne Borzaki and Arlette worked as a marketing manager for Reebok when the company was negotiating a deal with Bias. She worked closely with Bias. So there was nothing signed. I can honestly tell you that. Further, the Bias family sued an insurance company for breach of contract. The Biases had purchased a $1 million policy on behalf of Len. District and appeals courts ruled against the Bias estate in both cases. They appealed the lawsuits against Reebok and Advantage to the U.S. Supreme Court, which refused to hear the appeal. To make matters worse, the Bias family had to pay back a loan of about $20,000 they had taken out for Len in the months before he died. When Len died, I prayed to die. I did not want to live. I did not want to live. Four years later, Jay died. I prayed to die again, and guess what? Here I am alive and well. I could not see anything but darkness when Len died. And then when Jay died, the same hospital, the same bad news all over again, I didn't think I could make it. that Lenise Bias displayed after the death of Len was not evident four years later after Jay Bias died. In a surreal manner, Jay was taken to the same hospital as was Len. So I go to the same waiting room and knock on the same door and my daughter opens it. I said, 
how is Jay doing? She said, Mom, Jay is gone. I said, what? She said, Jay is gone. I went completely off. I took my fists and I beat the walls in in that waiting room with my fists. I beat holes in the wall. I took the lamps, I threw them in the floor. I screamed, I hollered, I was so angry with God. I was so mad, this was not fair. And as I walked out of the door, my husband and my daughter were trying to calm me down. As I walked out of the door, there was a nurse on my left and she said, um, oh, we have prepared Jay's body for you to look at. And at that time, I could have spit in her face. I told her, get away from me, I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm not going to look at a body. And we got home and when we pulled up, here's the whole thing getting ready to start again. And I walked in, there were people sitting in, seated in my house. I told them to get out of my house, get out of my house. And then I went to my bedroom and shut the door and stayed in there for three days. And every time I thought about what God had allowed to happen to our family again, I would get mad, I would lay there. Someone would bring me a cup of water, I'd take it and throw it up against the wall. So God let me have my temper tantrum for three days. And on the third day, I got up and I started to move forward. Over the years, Lenise and James Bias have seen some groups recently accept the legacy of her sons more willingly, most notably of Len. Since 2012, Len has been inducted into three athletic halls of fame, the most recent one in November, 2021. We will have more on that in a later segment. Perhaps more profoundly, Len's legacy lives on in the everyday lives of some who have used his death as a red light to stop abusing drugs. Lenise Bias sees the signs often. Um, I was on a plane one time traveling to speak and a flight attendant handed me a note um, saying, I, I, know, I know it's you. I know it's you, I know it's you. I stopped cocaine the day your son died. This was a flight attendant. I have received letters and cards, emails from people over the years who said they literally stopped using dr drugs the day Len died. My husband and I were in, um, what was it, Walmart. Last year, year before last, a man walked up to us. He said, Miss Bias, I've been saying forever that I wanted to tell you this. He said, I was in college, never used drugs. He said, and a friend of mine who was in grad school, someone that I respected, told me they have this stuff out called cocaine. And they, she said that you would feel so good when you just rub it on your teeth. And he said, because of who she was, he was in school, he respected her, he was going to try it. He said the next day Len died and he never touched it. I mean, wherever I have gone from, I have been everywhere to speak from the wealthiest, the poorest, and everything in between. And everybody has their stories of how Len's death saved them.
Michael Bias spoke calmly as he sat in a chair on the secured side of the visitor's area. Through a window, his face flashed an engaged expression as he talked about his father. Michael Bias told me, everything has been a struggle financially, emotionally. It's been a tough break for me all my life. It's been a jinx from when I was born because he died. The conversation took place in July 2011 at the Anne Arundel County Detention Center in Maryland. In the same month that Michael was born to Tina Maynard 25 years earlier, both Michael Bias and Maynard claim Len Bias is Michael's father. Leonard Kevin Bias, which matches Len's name, is listed as the father on Michael's birth certificate. A DNA test has never been done before. Others have confirmed that Michael Bias is Len's son. Michael Bias has spent the early part of his adulthood incarcerated for crimes that range from driving without a license to armed robbery and reckless endangerment. Michael made it clear that the most important thing he wants from the Bias family is recognition. He did meet Lenise and James Bias when he was about one month old. Michael told me, I want to meet the other side of my family. They owe me an open conversation. It's like a missing piece in the puzzle of my life. Michael Leonard Bias was born on July 3rd, 1986. Maynard had first seen Len Bias when she was 13. She attended a high school state playoff game to support the brother of a friend who was playing in the game. But after she saw Len on the court, her focus shifted away from her friend's brother. Maynard told me, I was young, he was tall, and he was the star ball player. Several years later, Maynard met Bias at a party on the Maryland campus in fall of 1985. Bias was just beginning his senior year. Within weeks of meeting Bias, Maynard says she was pregnant by him. Maynard adds she spent time that school year on the Maryland campus, often in Lem's dormitory suite. She says she knew that Lem was romantically involved with other women. Maynard told me, I never thought that he was only dating me. I was not bothered by it at all. Maynard says that during the time she knew Bias, he would use cocaine on occasion. When Maynard told Bias she was pregnant with his child, she says he asked if she was certain. After she started crying, she says he asked what was wrong. Maynard told me, I said, I'm so young. He said, you're going to be okay. He could have been, well, it ain't my baby, but he didn't say that. Several teammates of Bias during his senior year all deny knowing of Bias being the father of Maynard's child. Only one, Phil Nevin, recalled seeing someone who resembled Maynard. He was a roommate of Bias during Bias's last year. When told during a phone conversation that a woman claimed to have given birth to Len's child, Nevin asked, without being told her name, was it Athenia? Tina? I remember. Was she light-skinned, he asked? Yes, that's her, he says. I saw her occasionally. Maynard set up a meeting to introduce her son to the Bias family within a few weeks of Michael Bias's birth. Maynard says she visited them at their home along with her mother, a sister, and her uncle, Joseph Sastro Sims. Maynard didn't make the call herself because she was concerned about how the Bias family would react to the news. She was unsure if Lenise Bias knew that Len had fathered a child. And Maynard says she was concerned about the perception that she was trying to take advantage of Bias's fame. She felt people would think she was, as she put it, a gold digger. Maynard remembers the gathering lasting a few hours. She claims that Lenise and James Bias held the baby throughout much of the meeting and that James cried often during the visit. Maynard says at the meeting that she expressed a willingness to take a DNA test to confirm that Michael was Len's son, but she says she received no response from the Bias family. Sims, Maynard's uncle, also attended the meeting. He remembered the meeting as mostly uncomfortable. Sims told me, 
speaking of Lenise Bias, I wasn't expecting her to run out and say, here's my son's child. And I wasn't expecting the cold and aloofness that I got. Maynard says the Bias family showed little interest in Michael after that day. Once she and Sims brought Michael along to a speech by Lenise Bias so she could see Michael. Sims took Michael to greet Lenise after her speech. Sims recalled the brief encounter. Sims told me, she didn't completely ignore me, but it wasn't that great of a meeting. It was no better than 30 seconds. During our interview in 2011, Maynard wondered why Lenise Bias and her family have for the most part ignored him. Maynard told me, why don't you acknowledge your grandson? That's what I would want to ask her. When asked if she thinks it will happen, she said, no, it hasn't thus far. There are no indications that Michael Bias has met members of Len Bias's immediate family. Michael Bias declined an interview for this podcast. Lenise Bias was not contacted for this podcast. She was asked in emails, phone calls, and a letter for an interview for the book of which this podcast is based. She refused all requests. Based on her past reluctance, producers have chosen not to reach out to her for this podcast series. Up next on Lim Bias, a mixed legacy, fame and legacy. I found out after calling Lefty uh, that uh, Lynn had never been inducted into the Maryland Basketball Hall of Fame. And so I said he deserves to be recognized. I remember one recently departed alumni who said that he would have his name removed from the Hall of Fame if Lynn Bias got in. So that was how strongly they felt about it. And we are here today experiencing history with the best coming from the Bias family today here at the University of Maryland as Len Bias' name is inducted in the university. It was strictly based on his achievements at Maryland. Uh, and 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 you often heard during those deliberations, you heard you know comparisons to Michael Jordan. Tribble was not going to be blamed. This is a time when drug use is tolerated. They were not going to play the blame game. One tragic story: when Lynn Bias passed away from using cocaine, my father came in the house furious. Furious. If you ever do this, I'll kill you. You ain't gonna have time to overdose. I'll kill you. This podcast series is based on the book Born Ready, A Mixed Legacy of Len Bias, published by Go Grady Media. The series is produced by Go Grady Media in partnership with Octagon Entertainment. This segment was produced by Dave Ungrady and Don Marcus. It was written by Dave Ungrady and edited by Don Marcus. 
The narrator was Lauren Roche, with additional narration by Jamal Williams. Technical production was provided by Octagon Entertainment. Production assistance was produced by Kevin McNulty, Tino Quagliata, Lauren Roche, Georgia Brun, Casey Fair, Jamal Williams, Kelsey Mannix, and Enzo Alvarenga. Matt Dewhurst is providing the social media assistance. Special thanks to the University of Maryland and American University for providing insights. The Decision Education Foundation is a content and promotional partner of this podcast series. For more information, go to gogradymedia.com. This has been a production of Go Grady Media and the 8th Side Network. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.